morning, everyone. Reading today is from Mark 5, verse 21 to 34. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth he said to her daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and be freed from your suffering this is the word of the lord You going to turn it on, Richard? Oh, he has turned it on. He threatened not to turn the mic on. He'll probably turn it off in a minute. You watch. How are we doing today? Good. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is James Meldrum, one of the multitude of Jameses in the parish. Um, I'm married to this gorgeous girl in front of me here, who will probably distract me all the way I'm talking. Um, we've been married for 25 years this year, or will have been. Um, if you don't know Jenny, get to know her. Um, she has the most amazing uh, sense of, sense of humour, and doesn't matter how dark your life gets, it'll always be improved by knowing my wife. I have um, four children. I have three daughters, two natural ones, and one by marriage, and a son, Thomas, um, who's married to one of the girls. Um, I'm very privileged, and I'm really excited to be here today. Um, before we start, though. I really feel a need uh, to pray for Afghanistan. Would that be okay? If I lead the prayer, could all of you with heavenly languages join in? I just think we need to intercede. In two days' time, the uh, Allied forces leave Afghanistan. We don't know what's going to happen, but he does. Would that be okay? So I'm just going to pray, but can we all just join in? Let's lift our voices to the heavenly king. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you hold all things in your hands. Thank you, Lord, that you hold Afghanistan in your hands. And Father, we just come before you today. Father, we just say, would your peace reign? 
Father, we just pray your blessing on members of the Taliban. Would they come to know you, Lord? Thank you that over and over again, you have visited Muslims across the world in visions and dreams, and we pray for that now, Lord. Would you send your heavenly host, Father God? Would you send your heavenly host? We pray for every young girl and every young woman who's grown up in there. Father, we just pray your peace, your joy, your hope over them today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, guys. About six months ago, maybe a bit longer actually, about nine months ago, our sewage treatment plant, or our septic tank, I should say, at home stopped working. And the technical term is that there's a thing called an onion inside and it collapsed, which means that the septic tank no longer separates solids from fluids. And every time it rained, all kinds of interesting things would be washed away down our garden. So we had to get a new sewage treatment plant put in. And we found a lovely guy in the village who we'd not used before to come and do it. So he turns up one Monday morning and uh, with his friend, uh, his colleague, Tim. We call him Toeless Tim because, unfortunately, he cut off one of his toes when he was a young man with a bandsaw. Um, and um, they set to work installing our sewage treatment plant. So they dug a channel uh, right through our garden. It's about a foot and a half wide. It's probably about three to four feet deep. And then they dug a hole three meters by three meters by three meters in the bottom of the garden. They install the sewage treatment plant, they put all the pipework in, they fill it in again. All the leftover soil was used to fill in a ditch that we have running down the side of the garden. And at the end of two weeks, we had a wonderful new sewage treatment plant, but we had a garden that looked like the Battle of the Somme, or the Somme after, in 1919. Okay? Now, I could have been really, really posh, and I'd gone and, get, gone and get turf to lay across this massive scarring, but I didn't. I went online, and I bought some seed, some grass seed. I found a place called bostonseeds.com, great place, if you want garden seeds. I didn't know there were so many, garden, there were so many gar grass seeds in the world, but there are. So I ordered 20 kilos of the stuff, and they arrived, and I read the instructions exactly how much I wanted to sow, and so I got to work. And basically, I would take a handful of seed, and I would scatter it. And I would take another handful of seed and I would scatter it. And, then, and you get the picture. In 35 minutes, I basically sown seed all across the area. It couldn't have been easier. And in two weeks' time, there was a green haze you could see as the grass was coming up. And today, we're going to talk about not sowing grass seed. We're going to talk about sowing spiritual seed. It couldn't be easier. I'm going to talk to you about evangelism. But before I do, I'm just going to quickly pray. Is that okay? Father God, thank you that, as I say, the seeds that are not of you, would you blow away? And the seeds that are of you, would it take root in our lives and would it transform us from this day forward? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you enough water. <clears throat> So when I, word, when I mention that word evangelist, I'll guarantee you there are a couple of people going, I'm not an evangelist. I'm on the healing team. I don't do that thing. I don't go around knocking on people's doors. I don't go around giving out food. I'm not an evangelist. I'm a reaper, James. I'm a reaper. Jesus sends out the reapers. I'm a, I'm a reaper. Yeah, but I've got news for you. We are all evangelists. Okay? Why? Well, the word evangelist comes from two Greek words, you and Gelion, good news. And we are all bearers of good news, every single one of us. Um, and 
that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk really about two things. Why, that might be seen an obvious question, but the why and how we do it, okay? I don't know if any of you, I'm going to start with the why. Have any of you come across this book called Imagine Heaven? Have you? It's a really, really good book, okay? I'm not a great enthusiast of Christian books, I'm afraid to say. Most Christian books could have been summarized in the first chapter and the rest left out. I apologize for that. This is a really, really good book, okay? What it's about, it's a collection of stories of people who have clinically died, have had experience, and have come back to life, okay? And they are really extraordinary. Now, the first story in his book is, by, is about a guy called George Ritchie, who in 1943, beginning of the first or middle of the Second World War, he dies. And he has an experience. He's a young man. He appears before Jesus. And Jesus shows him his entire life up until that moment, all the thoughts, all the words, all the actions in an instantaneous moment. And Jesus basically asks him one question. What have you got to show me? Have you loved as I've loved? Now, at the same time as I was reading that book for the first time, I had a a vision, a picture, I'm not sure what you call it, but basically I was standing on a hill and I was looking out across a plain and on the far side of the plain was the throne and Jesus was sitting on the throne. It was slightly bizarre because he was also standing next to me as well talking to me, but um, he can do that. So, but on the plain were, were countless millions of people and they were all bowed down towards the throne. And I could recognize in this kind of vision thing different people who have international ministries, people that we'd all know of. And what Jesus said to me was this, everyone is equal. No one is better than anyone else. Everyone is equal because everyone is judged on the same basis. Have you loved as I have loved? And everyone can love. And it doesn't matter how, what kind of international ministry, it doesn't matter that you're James Decast leading this church, everyone will, hold account, will be held to account the same thing. Have we learned to love? Um, and so that's kind of really kind of what I want to do. I mean, if you look at Paul's teaching in Corinthians, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? He says, you can do all these exciting stuff, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And then he goes on and says, and you can do all these other exciting stuff, but if you don't have love, you gain nothing. In fact, he just says you're a loud noise, like a symbol. If we don't love, if we are not responding out of love because we are loved and love for his people, we are nothing. So it's the one criteria which we all can do and we're all going to be measured up against. Um, and when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to evangelism, we can all express our, his love for us by witnessing and by evangelizing to people outside the church. Now this love is not a kind of candy floss, kind of crispy cream, fluffy kind of love. Okay, it's not sort of Greco-Roman Cupid love. It's not warm, mushy feelings. It's hardcore. And if you look at Jesus' life, it's hardcore love that he's demonstrating to us. It's inconvenient to start with. Did you know that Jesus is estimated to walk something like 3,000 miles in his lifetime? That's a flipping long way, isn't it? In that kind of Mediterranean sun as well. John Wesley did 250,000 miles preaching the gospel. The love that's behind this is not, is not convenience, it's inconvenient. It puts us to an inconvenience. It's also a love that can be interrupted. You know, we can be heading on a plane, we can be doing something, and, you know, God cuts in on and says, no, I want you to do this, which is obviously that story we read today. 
is that Jesus is going to heal Jairus' daughter and the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus stops in the middle of his program, if you like, just to have an interaction with her. I've got some, I, don't, I have a friend who's now gone to glory, a guy called John Wright. Some of you may have heard of him, some may have not. Um, but he's an extraordinary guy, and he, he writes these pamphlets. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm just going to give you a summary of one of them. But he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he tells a story as he gets on a tube train in London, and uh, he's sitting opposite a skinhead. Now, some of you are probably too young to know what a skinhead is, but basically completely shorn. He's got a Star of David tattoo on his head. He's got big boots on. He's got chains. And John is sitting there, and he's one of the most lovely men I know. And he's thinking, thank, he's saying to himself, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this guy across the, across the way. And God says, I want you to talk to him. And John always says that if you, if, you have a, if you sense something and it's short, it's foolish, and you don't want to do it, it's almost definitely God. So he, he's like, well, what do I say to him? So he gets up, and the spirit gives him a question. And he says to him, he says, oh, I, like your, I really like your hair. So a conversation then springs up, and this guy's really trying to struggle. He's struggling with it. He's got a whole bunch of them trying to find the meaning of life. The tube is, by the way, is empty at this point, but it's now traveling into London. It's getting busier by the moment. Twelve stops later, it's really busy, and God says, I want you to pray with him. And so right there and then, he invites him to, to commit his life to Jesus, and the real man bows his head and gives his life to God right in the middle of a busy tube. God is, we have to be interruptible if we're going to be you know, prepared to preach the gospel. Paddy, <laughs> behave yourself, throwing his rings around. I'd like, I'd like one of those sleeves. I think that'd be really cool. Um, it's, it's sacrificial. You know, the kind of love that drives Jesus is sacrificial. A young man said this to me the other day, which I was really intrigued by the way he saw this. He said, only two people really knew what Jesus' mission was. One was his mother, and the other one was John the Baptist, the baptizer. And don't forget, he was a cousin of John, and his parents, his mothers had had, their mothers had this sort of interaction um, when they were pregnant. So it's undoubtedly they would have known each other as young men. And then John the Baptist is beheaded brutally. And the scriptures say that Jesus went to find a solitary place. Probably to, you know, his heart had been torn apart. He goes to find a solitary place, and what happens? The crowd find him. And then the scriptures say, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. It was blooming inconvenient and sacrificial for Jesus to have to do that. But he laid down what he wanted to do, look after his own heart with his father, to, 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 um, to minister to the people around him. It's inconvenient. It's inter- we have to be interruptible. It's sacrificial. And it's also we have to be prepared to offend. Jesus was. He offended virtually everybody who would see him. Pharisees, Sadducees, not a problem there. The, the people who ran the synagogue when he told them that a prophet wasn't welcome in his own home and they were going to throw him off a cliff. And his, his mother and his brother, when they came looking for him and they thought he'd gone bonkers. You know, he was prepared to offend people. And the question is, are we, are we too precious in ourselves and we're too worried about our own reputations that we're not prepared to have those difficult conversations? And I'm not suggesting any of us should go out and offend people. But sometimes we might have to, particularly in this culture where everything is going this way and the gospel is this way. We at some point are going to have to make comments that we would not necessarily, wouldn't be, wouldn't be comfortable. But that's the nature of the kind of love that we're called to. 
And I just want to show you in my own life how this kind of seed sowing, if you like, works. I don't come from a believing family. None of my family, my close immediate family, have a faith. But when I was young, I had a godmother who did, and she lavished herself on me. Sorry. Say it, don't spit it. Um, um, She lavished herself on me, and she really put herself out for me. She took me on holidays. She sowed seed into my life when I was very small. I didn't give my life to, to, to Jesus at that point. I then went to, to school, and I went to, I was very fortunate, I got a scholarship to go to a school in Scotland, and um, I would go to chapel every morning, and the two chaplains there would have sowed, they would preach the gospel. I would have heard the gospel preached to me, so seed was sowed into my life. Did I give my life to Jesus? No. I then went to Durham University, and three of my closest friends all had very strong faiths. And apparently, I asked them incessantly, questions and they answered them and sowed seed into my life did I give my life to Jesus no I got kicked out of Durham after a year I then went to South Africa and I started dating a girl who came from a family of very committed believers I would not have been their boyfriend of choice I can tell you that for free but their mother her her mother was really wonderful she would take me to their local church she would talk to me. She gave me a Bible, telling me the five things I needed to do to commit my life to Jesus. Did I give my life to Jesus? No. I ended up living in London with Simon Croft, some of you might know, who goes to this church. And his brother used to come down from Edinburgh University, and he would tell me about his relationship with Jesus. And I would taunt him. That was pretty unpleasant. But I would taunt him. But didn't, he, just, he told me his stories. Did I give my life to Jesus? No. Six months later, I did an Alpha course, and on the third week, I heard about the resurrection and the evidence for it, and I gave my life to Jesus. Was it Alpha, or was it all the seed that had been planted beforehand? Sowing seed is so important. It leads us up. And interestingly enough, we, don't, we do all this wonderful stuff in this church, and we do celebrate the great successes. We celebrate people coming to faith, and we celebrate the healings. But actually, we should also be celebrating in our KFCs and beyond people sowing seed. Because it's so important. So that's the kind of the, the, the why, if you like. The how, I just want to talk about briefly. I've got four things to be said. Be prepared, be connected, be present, and be courageous. The first thing is be prepared. In your mind, if you're going out in the daytime, ask God, say, Lord, you know, I want to be used by you today. Set yourself up. Lord, I want to be used today, and be available to listen to his spirit as you go through the day. Just set yourself up like that. Listen to him as you're, as you're out. To take prompts from him. Um, also, work out in your mind difficult quest- questions you can ask people. If you end up in a conversation with someone in a queue, for instance, if you're queuing for bread, or whatever happens to be, or sitting next to someone, work out questions you can ask people. You know, if, they're, if they're an older generation, you can ask them, have you thought what might happen to you when you die? I wouldn't ask a 16-year-old that, by the way. Um, you can ask them those kind of questions. If you're, if you're younger, you could say, you know, how did you, find, how did you find lockdown? And allow them to talk. And then you can say, hey, look, you know, I, um, I, I struggled too, but this is what I found. I have a relationship with Jesus. You can introduce stuff. So prepare in your mind. Oh, think about what questions you could ask that you'd be happy to talk about. Do the sort of kind of homework. And also practice your testimony. It may sound a stupid thing to do, but... You know, every one of you has got a testimony, whether it's a testimony of conversion, whether it's a testimony um, of a healing or God's provision, whatever it happens to be, but all of you have testimonies. 
and learn to give your testimony in a kind of short, snappy way in 20 seconds. Don't make it a long ramp. Oh, yeah, well, I was born in Oxfordshire. Yeah, nice farmhouse. Down a bumpy road, you know. Yeah, the potholes used to get really bad in the winter. Just, no, no, no. 20 seconds of why you came to faith or whatever it happens to be. But practice it because it doesn't naturally come to us easily. So we have to sort of kind of do the work behind the scenes. Um, and also things like, I mean, I, what I do sometimes is I, I kind of prophesy a bit over people without them knowing it. So Lord will give me, the Lord will give me a, uh, a word for someone. And rather than, because I work in the city, you know, and the city is becoming increasingly antagonistic to, to the gospel, I find ways of prophesying without them knowing I'm prophesying. So one guy, one chap called Billy, the Lord said he's going to be successful. So I went to him and said, hey, Billy, yeah, you're going to be really successful in business. What? Yeah, you're going to be really successful. And he comes from a traveling community, by the way. So I, was, you know, I said to him, you're going to come, you're becoming really successful in business. Now, he didn't ask to take any questions any further than that, but he could have. I had another chap I spoke to, and I said to him, Huggy, you're a really good father. Now, he knows I'm, 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 you know, I have a faith. So you can speak without using the name of Jesus. You can still speak into people's lives very powerfully and very effectively. If we believe that we hear from God, we can speak that over people. Um, so be prepared. The second one is be connected. We have nothing to offer unless we remain connected to our Heavenly Father. Find a way. James Decast talks about it all the time. Find a way to, to, to spend one-on-one time with him every day. Maybe do two or three times a day. But stay connected with him. Not only because we need to just to feed our own soul, but also it's a way of listening and practicing hearing his voice. We had a, a friend in London, and she would have an A to Z, and she would look up an address on the A to Z, and she'd put it away, and then she'd step out in the street, and she'd say, Lord, now take me there. Left, right, straight ahead. That's how she practiced listening to the Holy Spirit. And we do it sometimes at home with playing cards. It's like, you know, yeah, Andy's going to laugh here. Um, we, we do it with playing cards, and quite seriously. It's like, you know, I'll look at a playing card, and the other people have to pray and ask, you know, whether it's a red or black, or whether what suit it is, or indeed what card it is. And that's one way. There's no reason why you can't do that. The Spirit wants you to be tuned to his voice. But we did have a funny occasion, and that's why Andy's laughing. Because we had Jack Roberts staying with us. I'm just going to quickly tell you a story here. We had Jack Roberts. If you don't know him, he was an intern two or three years ago. And um, so we were telling him this. And uh, Andy was there, and uh, my little Eloise, my daughter, and Jenny here. And we were saying, well, we, we, you know, we, we look at a card. One of the, Eloise will look at a card, and then you're going to pray, and... Uh, and you're going to ask the spirit to show, to work out which card it is. Okay. So Eloise would pick up a card. Okay, Jack, you're going to pray. Like this. As soon as he put his hand like that, Eloise would be holding a card up like that, okay? <laughs> and then, then she'd put it down again. And, and then we'd go, oh, so what do you think? And Jack would go, oh, oh, it's the three of clubs. And Jenny would go, no, I'm, I'm thinking it's the queen of diamonds. Turn out the queen of diamonds. And we did this about once. And Jack was like, wow, that's really cool. Twice. After five times, he freaked out. He literally ran out. He ran out of the room, upstairs to his bedroom, and came down again. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, that's not that's not advice. Okay, stay connected with God. Learn to hear His voice. Um, I mean, one thing I actually sort of kind of did think about this is the other day was how much time do I spend in a day shaving, brushing my hair, washing, getting dressed, preparing food, eating food? How much time do I spend with this body? And this body is wasting away and how much time do I spend with my spiritual man looking after him it's just an interesting thing isn't it maybe do your own reflections like do we spend enough time looking after this man who's growing and getting stronger or this one which is not just a thought so 
Um, be prepared. Be connected. Be present. People are not projects. They're the objects of his desire. Okay? People are not projects. Too often, when we talk to people, we're not really interested in them at all. We just want to tell them what we want to tell them. So we've got an idea. We've got to talk about Jesus. We've got to, we've got to tell them this particular thing. So we don't actually listen to them. We're just um, we're too obsessed with what we want to say. And it becomes a sort of kind of pointless exercise. You have to ask questions of people, and then you have to listen to their answers. This might sound really obvious to you, but I'm aware with conversations around me that people don't actually listen to what you're saying. They're just waiting to tell the next story. Um, there are some people, by the way, who are really good at this. This young man here, Andy's story, is very good at this. He will come and he'll ask you questions and he'll listen to the answer and he'll ask you more questions. So if you want to, answer, you want to know how to ask questions, this boy is really good at it. And I'm sure there are lots of you who are, but we listen to it because Jesus does it. You see, if you look at the way he interacts with people throughout the Gospels, the one, for instance, in Luke 5, he, he's approached by a, a leper and the leper says, if you're willing to heal me, and Jesus doesn't say, be healed. What does he say? I am willing. What's he saying? I've heard you. I've heard what you've asked me. I've heard what you've said. I've connected with your heart. Then there's a woman, for instance, um, who was, um, we've heard about earlier on today, who's been bleeding for 12 years. You know, he doesn't, she's, she touches his, his, his robe um, and the tassels on it, and she's healed. And she turns around, he turns around, and, he, and one of the other gospels says, take heart, my daughter. He connects with her. He's interested in her. And then he says, your faith has made you well. Jesus always starts with a connection. I want to connect with people. And again, if you see the two, the two um, the, the blind and mute men who come and see him, they say, have mercy on us, son of David. And what does he do? He doesn't say, you be healed. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He talks to their hearts. He gets them, so, and that's what we're meant to be doing too. We're meant to be connecting with people at a personal level before we go on to pray for them or whatever it is. Um, and at the same time as talking to people, you've also got to have one ear to God as well, waiting for that prompt, which may or may not come. He may not have a particular word, but he may. So you've got to be connecting, so you've got to be sort of kind of, not schizophrenic, but you've got to literally, you've got to be listening to the person and connecting with them at the same time, wired to your father. It needs practice. Um, and lastly, be courageous. One of our favorite family films is a film called We Bought a Zoo. Have anybody seen We Bought a Zoo? If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. Okay. I'm going to spoil it now. I'm going to plot spoiler. Don't bother going to see it. Um, it's basically about a widower. And he's lost his wife, and he's got two young children. And they, he decides to up sticks and buy a zoo. It's actually based on a true story of a chap in Dorset, and I think that the zoo still exists. But of course, it's set in America, and it's Matt Damon, so it's utterly watchable. But the story finishes with him taking his two children back to the place where he first met their mother. And he says he's walking down the street, and she's sitting in the cafe, and he sees her. And this is what he says, at times you need 20 seconds of insane courage. And that's the truth for us too. At times we need 20 seconds of insane courage to cross the road, to have that conversation, to get up and sit on the other side of the tube and ask that question about someone's haircut, whatever it happens to be. 20 seconds of insane courage. 
Over and over and over again, the Bible, more than 100 times, God says the same thing. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be strong and take heart. And always follows the same thing. Why? Because I am with you. Echye imak is what he says to Moses. I am with you. Literally, Emmanuel. And that's the deal, is that he gives you courage. He's in the situation with you. And he wants you to step out. So we know why. We, we do this because he loved us. And we are to love other people around us. Be prepared. Be connected. What was the next one? Be present and be courageous. Who wants some of this? Come on, stand up. <laughs> cool. Just a bit of water. our hands out as if we're receiving a present because we need everything he's got for us Father God we want to be about your business thank you that you came and modeled what it is to go out and teach and to draw people into a relationship with the Father but Father we're weak and pathetic at times and you're mighty and strong. So Father, we just need your courage. So Father, would you download your courage? Give us that supernatural courage from heaven. Would you unblock our ears, Lord, so we can hear your voice? Give us that radical obedience, Lord, that steps out across the room when those words that you speak to us are short, foolish, and we don't want to do them, Lord. We recognize that you're speaking to us. We just want more of you, Jesus. We want more of you, Jesus. More of your courage. Father, we want to be a church that sows seed and rejoices in that. Not for anything else, but Lord, we just know that you are doing your will. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus.